Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Subscribe on iTunes at Toddcast Podcast. Right on. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time here to join us, the Toddcast in Vancouver, Canada. I have been a fan since the launch. Oh, right on. <laughs> yeah, man. I wanted to go back to the beginning, though, Steve, uh, before you're in yep. bands at all. I want to know, what was the music like in the Gorman house as a kid growing up? Like, what are the bands your parents are playing? Uh, well, I'm, I'm the youngest of eight kids, so... Mm. I, you know, my parents' music really didn't factor in too much. Um, right, right. They, were, they were listening to much, much older stuff. I mean, there were, there were, you know, sing along with Mitch Miller albums and like Broadway show tune albums from my mom, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but my older siblings all had a ton of records. And two brothers in particular, when I was really young, I had a brother who was really into prog rock and you know, anything from like Led Zeppelin to Grand Funk, Deep Purple, but then into Yes and Gentle Giant and all that side of the spectrum. And then I had, and even like Al Dimiola. And then I had another brother that was just all into soul music. So he had Motown and Stax for days. So in, in between those two worlds, there was a lot of great music in the house. But then when I was about six, I got a, I won a Bee Gees album as a door prize. (laughs) That was my first album. That was my own. Okay. And, um, and then that led me into, I, I was obsessed with the Beatles. This is 1971. So, you know, way, way before, uh, Saturday night fever. Mm. And then, and then, and then my brother who was into rock music, he gave me some hand-me-down Beatles albums and that's what really got me started. Mm. So it was the Beatles. Yeah. Well, Bee Gees and then Beatles. Um, he gave me the Beatles records cause he was so sick of hearing the Bee Gees all the time. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I still, I still love you know, the pop era. Oh, hell, I love the, I love every era of the Bee Gees. Those are amazing songs. Yeah, yeah, totally. And as a drummer, I'm nowhere near, you know, at your level, but, you know, I, I can butcher a classic with the best of them. I find it interesting that Ringo Starr gets as much slack as he gets from people. Like, what? He's the freaking, he's well, the Beatles. Well, people are, people are stupid. People have no idea. <laughs> I mean, as, you know, Look, who's who's also been the butt of a billion jokes for forty years? Neil Peart. I mean, it's like in right. the same way. It's like there, you know, you only get that much grief when you're at a level where there's nothing else to do but take shots at okay. a certain point. Right. And you know, it's funny. I, I, you still hear people maintain that the Beatles weren't great players, and you know, the answer to that is, okay, you go play without monitors, mm. and you know, in a stadium and you, you sound like the, you make a sound like that band could make. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's a, I, I put everything in sports analogies and I've, you know, there are people who will tell you that Wilt Chamberlain's a better basketball player than Bill Russell to this day. And I don't take those people seriously. It's <laughs> like, it, it, it means nothing. Bill Russell won 11 championships. Mm-hmm. And never looked at the stat line once. That's the point. And music is a team sport in, in rock and roll music. It's not about who played the best part. It's about what band had the best vibe together collectively. And, mm-hmm. you know, Ringo is, you know, if you can make those other three guys all feel good with what you're doing to their songs, you're a genius. I'm sorry. That's all there is to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, enough said. What was your first concert? What, what was the band? My first concert was uh, I saw Heart in 1978. So I was 13, I guess, and um, it was unexpected. Uh, we were on a soccer trip, my high school team, um, and me and a me and a but we we went to Lexington, Kentucky for a soccer game. I was actually, I think I was in eighth grade, and and uh, my friend and I just went with his mom. We were just going to watch the varsity. My older brothers had games, and so we were just going up to watch. So we weren't with the team, and we checked into a hotel that was right next to Rupp Arena, and that night Hart was playing, and my friend's mom was like, oh, do you guys want to go to a concert? Here you go. She just awesome. gave us 20 bucks and set us off. And, you know, I was, I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't own a heart record, but everybody knew who heart was. I mean, I, you sure. know, all their songs were on the radio all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it was, in addition to being my first concert, it was also completely unexpected, which made it really special. Yeah, that's really cool. And interesting that your first concert was with a band that is a sibling band. Being in the Black Crows for as long as you, yeah. you were, do you feel that there's something about being in a band with brothers or sisters or whatever, is there kind of a bit of a leg up in that regard, you think? Um, I, not necessarily. It just depends on if you choose to think of it that way, to me. I mean, it's a leg up in the early days in that I know for the Robinsons, they didn't feel like they had a choice. Um, in fact, when I first started playing with them, I was talking to Chris one day after a particularly contentious rehearsal, and I said, why are you in a band with him? Like you guys hate each other. Mm. And he was like, I don't know. I said, why don't we, and we had other friends and I was like, why don't we jam with some other people? Like, I just didn't understand the point of continuing in a band that was so miserable at the jump. And, Mm. um, and Chris and I actually did one time. We got together with a guitar player. We knew and a bass player, these guys that were in another band. And we just threw ideas around and jammed for a few hours. And it was great. Mm. And it was literally, we walked out of there and Chris was like, oh my God, this is night and day. And I said, you don't have to be in a band with someone just because he's your brother. Like I, it was just, and I wasn't trying to dismantle Mr. Crow's garden. It was just, to me, it was just basic common sense. Why don't you pursue something else if you hate this? And it was, but it, and it was a great night and we finished. And the next day, like unprompted, Chris looked at me and goes, I, I, I'm doing this with Rich. I got to do it. Like whatever triggers that, you know, he, he enjoyed it so much that it freaked him out. And we never looked back after that. And I was like, okay, I get it. But you know, I have five brothers mm-hmm. and I understand the draw. Like if, if, you know, what, like in a, this might it sound like a silly analogy, but when I got to college, I was on a campus with two of my older brothers and we played intramural basketball together and we argued about every possession, <laughs> but it never occurred to us to not be on the same team. Right. And so it's, it's really just that simple sometimes in the early days when you have to be, when you have to, you know, just commit on a level where nothing else matters just to even get started and to try to scratch a little bit of an existence out of a local band. I think it is a great strength because, um, you know, just look at the, any local band goes through 56 members before they find a lineup because, mm-hmm. you know, people don't make the commitment. And when you have a brother, at least there's no question about, well, we're just doing this, you know, so that probably does help. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in the case of the Wilson sisters, imagine trying to do that in the early seventies. I'm sure it was a huge help that they had each other. Yeah. And both Chris and Rich have, uh, you know, in, in past interviews have actually said that you kind of were like another brother to them. 
Well, I was the first guy that said, okay, I'm in, like, and meant it. You know what I mean? Like, they mm-hmm. were, I mean, Rich was still in high school when I joined. I was 21, and he oh, was wow. just 17. So, um, he had already had just graduated that very month, you know. So, up until that point, even though they had, like, they had, like, a, you know, they had an opportunity to do a demo for A&M Records before I was even there. But Rich was still in high school, and so was their drummer. So, it's hard to take, it, it's not like they were playing 100 gigs a year. They were playing two gigs a month at most. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like they were really getting anywhere, but they had the attention of a label already basically because, because of Chris. So they were, they were in, the, in a weird place, but, but it, despite all that, I was the first guy that said, no, if, if we're going to do this, uh, we're doing it. Like I was just as mm. insistent on them as this, be, you know, we have to take it seriously and we have to put everything we have into it or what's the point. Mm-hmm. And shake your moneymaker has got to be one of the best rock debuts all time. Well, thanks. Uh, it was certainly a much better record than we were a band when we made it. I mean, George pulled everything we had and then some out of us. So uh, we felt at the time, I mean, we loved it, and we thought, man, we've got we've to make sure that we're a band that can go out and we have to be that band. You know, we, we exceeded our actual abilities on that album. Hmm. As far as being a live band goes, we weren't that great yet. Yeah. What do you remember about the first time, you know, jamming with the guys? There must have been instant chemistry, right? Yeah, well, there was chemistry that you couldn't hear, but you could feel because we weren't very good. But the first time I ever played with Chris and Rich was we all, Chris and I were roommates in a house. We had a, there was four of us that lived in a house or five of us. It was my band, which was called Marry My Hope. There was four of us and Chris was the odd man and his, you know, that was the other housemate. And so Mr. Crow's Garden and my band, Mary, my hope both rehearsed there and they were actually auditioning drummers because they needed a drummer and they had a kid that couldn't figure out how to play a fill to, uh, he couldn't get the time of an intro to a song down. And it was a very simple, straight song. And I was just sitting in the other room and Chris called me, he goes, Steve, come in here and play this. And I just walked in and sat down and I'd heard the song a a few times Mm. from the other room and it was real basic. And they, they had a kid in there that was like a jazz drummer, and he was overthinking everything. And I just went in, sat down, and played. Mm. And we played through an entire song. And then they were getting ready to go do another demo for A&M Records. And that's when Chris said, hey, come just play on this demo with us. You know, like, you, you got this down. Do this with us. And so the first time I sat with them, the last thing on my mind would be that it was anything other than filling in for 15 seconds to show this kid how to play a part. Wow. So that probably helped too, because nobody, there was no pressure. There was no thought of anything other than it was just that simple. And it was that in hindsight, it was like, well, that felt pretty cool. <laughs> Interesting. Tell us about writing your book, hard to handle the life and death of the black crows, a memoir, semi-therapeutic. Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think I'd already done all the therapy. Um, <laughs> okay. you know, it, it, I, I couldn't have written it had I not already processed all of, uh, 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 or, you know, the lion's share of, of what it was like, you know, to, to sit there and try to put half your life or at the time, you know, 27 years is half my life right now. So it was actually a little over half my life when I started writing the book, trying to put it all down. Um, it, it, it wasn't, it was daunting until I started. And then as soon as I got into a flow, it was, I, I really enjoyed the process. I'm, I'm very happy to sit and write and write and write, you know, for hours at a time, as it turns out, um, hmm. to get lost in there. But it was, 
I just think it's a fascinating story, and you know, and it's and again, I I or I, I say again because I've explained this so many times, but I, it's my story, and it's really the book is about me, and then there's all these things that happen where other people are involved, but I wrote it from a perspective of, you know, I know that people that love the Black Crows are going to find things that are interesting about, or they're they're annoyed by, or that they wish they didn't know, or that they wish I'd told more about, mm-hmm. but I that that's a given. I. I thought it was a story that anybody could find something from, whether you're a Black Coast fan or not. Um, it's just a question of what you're willing to do to get what you want, ultimately, and what you're willing to endure and put up with, and how do you know when you've crossed a line within your own moral compass. You know, It's all those kind of themes, which I think everybody can relate to on some level in life, or certainly most people can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Steve, beyond the music, you're a, a huge sports guy. What's your favorite to watch? What's your favorite to play? Uh, my favorite, if I got one game to watch, I'm going to watch soccer. Um, that's the first sport I ever played. I started playing soccer when I was six. Mm-hmm. And and um, it's always been my, my number one. But basketball is a close second. Um, mm. And if I'm going to play anything right now, I would say basketball, just because I haven't played pickup soccer in 20 years, <laughs> and uh, I would invariably blow out an Achilles if I even laced up a pair of cleats right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but you know, but but I moved to Kentucky when I was 10, and that's basketball is literally religion in that state. So my soccer career, uh, just by necessity and by default, became secondary to my basketball career because I moved to a place where I did play soccer in school. Uh, but we were the only school within 60 miles that had a team, mm. but basketball was, was everywhere. So I've, I've played way more basketball in my life. I played basketball all the time until I was about 35. Do you, do you get into the, the MMA, uh, UFC, Bellator and in the fights and all that? No, no. Uh-uh. I went to an event once and I, and in person I was, I, I enjoyed it more. I, I understood it a lot more. Um, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I see that on TV and I just think it's two people trying to kill each other. Mm. And then when I saw it live, I was aware of, I, I, I got a much greater sense of, no, this is, these are martial arts and these guys are very disciplined and there's great respect. But that's been 10 years. I don't, I wouldn't pretend to know anything about where it's gone since and I don't pay any attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. I'd love to, and I'm, I'm aware of the time here, so uh, I'd love to get outside of uh, music outside of sports and of course what you're known for i'm curious what are you binge watching lately if you find time when you find the time what are you watching uh the best show i've seen in years is called patriot it's on amazon Mm. uh two two seasons and i absolutely love that show it's it's um i uh i and it's interesting i started watching it right after i finished the book like the week i sent my book into the publisher is when i started watching patriot and I related to the main character in a lot of ways. It took me a while to even recognize how relatable my experience in the band was to the guy in this show. But, oh, okay. but I, it's, it's, it's hilariously funny, and it's very sad, and it just touches on all the themes, I guess, that mean a lot to me. A lot of things about family and loyalty, and it's just hilarious. I, I love everything about it. Cool. Um, that's a great show. Um, uh, what else have we just been watching? I mean, there's a bunch of stuff we've seen. I oh, mean, I, like, so well, you know, I think the crown. I, I, I think the crown is great. Yeah, and I could care less about the royal family, but that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, all all the seasons of Fargo. I just saw the trailer for the fourth season of Fargo coming up. Those are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, I mean, so much it's hard to know because there's so many things. Totally. Yeah, there's not enough time in the day. Did you get into comic books and stuff as a kid? Are, are you a fan of all the superhero movies that are being made? Nope. Nope, not on any level. <laughs> not Could any. not possibly care less. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, here's an oddball. I mean, I, I did, I did, my wife and I, we did just see Little Women, and I thought that was spectacular. Oh, I don't, what, what is that? I don't even, never heard of it. Little Women. Uh, Little Women, it, it's the, it, well, Greta Gerwig's new film. She did Lady Bird um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a few years ago. Yeah. And she just did an adaptation of Little Women, which is just phenomenal. Okay. I mean, it's the best thing I've seen in forever. Huh. Do you believe aliens have visited Earth? Uh, sure, why not? I mean, I think it's nuts to think that we're the only life form that could come up with sort of a, uh, a, a plan to get to another planet. Although I will say that if there were UFOs, uh, we would know by now. Just like Bigfoot, when everybody on the planet has a video camera in their pocket at all times, I think we would have seen something by now. Well, hasn't the, I think that the U.S. government has said that there is UFOs. Have they not? I think they have. Well, but, but yeah, but I mean, I, but if, it's, it's, if there's something that's, you know, they sure as hell know how not to be seen clearly if there are. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, every time, like, a meteor shower shoots across the sky in Siberia, 7,000 people capture it on iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. how, how in the world are we not seeing Bigfoot or, or an alien life form? It's funny. <laughs> All right. I got a couple more questions, uh, and I'll let you go, Steve. I think I know the answer to this one, but I'll ask it anyway. What are your thoughts on legalized marijuana? It's been in Canada now for about a year and a half. Um, I, I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, and I, I don't smoke, and I haven't for forever. I was never really much of a smoker, even when I was smoking weed. I didn't do it very often. Right. Um, but it's also, you know, I, I mean, to me, it's such a, a much larger question. I mean, we, you know, we live in a country that's where lobbying is 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 how the government runs, and beer companies are running, calling the shots. And mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to serve alcohol on every street corner, the idea that that marijuana is some evil drug is just it's just a i mean it's just like a bad joke it's like a monty python skit Mm -hmm. last one this one could be the toughest do you have a career highlight can you nail it down to one thing no not at all um and i I, and and not not by design but i'm always i've always just thought about like every time something happens it's like okay what's next you know what i mean like what's the next thing um it, and, you know, like, it's easy to say, oh, well, the you know, the gigs with Jimmy Page were, were incredibly fun. But the first time I ever played in a club, I felt a way that I could never feel again. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there, there's just, there's just the, the notion that the first time I ever played on a drum kit that was mic- had microphones on it, and I heard my drums through a PA, that's not a feeling you can ever get for the second time. So, you know, you, it, it, depending on where you sit and the mood I'm in, there's a lot of things I could say that was the highlight. But, you know, the, really, I, I just, I'm thinking about the next thing, mostly. Mm-hmm. You Spe- know, get, get through it and think about the next thing. Right. And, and speaking of, uh, of Jimmy Page, you, of course, you guys did the record, um, the live record with him. Was there ever talk of doing a studio album with him? Well, I, I tell the story in the book. He he suggested that uh, he had some ideas and riffs and unfinished songs, and he suggested getting together with Chris and Rich and writing uh, and trying to finish them, out, flesh them out, and see if there was anything there. But nothing ever came of that. Mm. Boy, and that if would... anyone reads the book, they they can find out why nothing ever came of that. <laughs> awesome, 
Steve, thank you so much for taking so my, my, my one, my one impossible question for you. And I ask this of every Canadian. Yes. Uh, which one you, you can only take one home with you. SCTV or kids in the hall. Oh, oh my God. Uh, oh, I know it's, wow. it's a bone gnashing. Dude, that it's is... impossible. It's Sophie's choice for every Canadian. Wow. Wow. Uh, I would probably go kids in the hall. Wow. So you're showing, you're showing your youth and vitality with that answer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. SCTV is so good though. Oh man, that's an impossible. Yeah. That'd be like asking you Saturday night live or. I don't think there's any comparison. I don't think there's an American well, equivalent that well, actually cuts to the core like that one does for Canadians. What was the one that was based out of, uh, almost live out of Seattle? Dude, that was a funny oh. show, man. Do you remember that one? I've never even I've never even heard of it. Oh, that there's another one that was like super super funny, super witty. Uh, it just yeah. attacked everything, like all the current topics of the day. It was super super funny. But yeah, I mean, that's nah, a tough question, dude. That's a tough it. question. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I enjoy I enjoy that one. I've never <laughs> asked struggle. anyone that question. What it, it really pains everybody. It's oh, totally because they're, they're both so good. You are yeah. easy to find online. Uh, your Twitter accounts are SGS Fox and Gorman Rocks. Pretty straightforward. That's it. Beautiful. Dude, we'll, we'll see you online. Thanks again for doing this. The Toddcast Podcast on ToddHancock.ca. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of the Go Kid Go Network. Do your kids love wacky worlds, superheroes, and inventing? Of course they do. That's why our shows Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow are set in Pflugerville, the nonstop fun and adventure universe where imagination, creativity, STEM, and positive role models abound. Join the Pflugerville fun by searching for Bobby Wonder and Lucy Wow on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.